Thank you. That was absolutely beautiful. I've had an incredibly busy week, and I know you have too. Uh, I've faced a lot of challenges this past week. Uh, we really fired, started our mission travel back up, and man, just a lot of moving parts to life. And uh, in this last week, I really had to lean into my relationship with God and ask for help in several different areas of my own life. Uh, I prayed for you this past week. I've lifted you up, many of you, many of you by name, uh, knowing some things that you're struggling with. Uh, this was a chaotic week. Uh, when it, with a church this young, we don't have lots of hospital crises, uh, and, and, and thank God, and we don't do lots of funerals. We have a very young church. Uh, this week we had three young adults make emergency room trips, uh, which is very uncharacteristic of this congregation. Uh, uh, you have this week battled addictions. Uh, this week you have stressed over relationships uh, in your family. Uh, this week you have prayed that God would open up doors for you vocationally, praying for new jobs, praying that God would promote you, praying for career changes. Uh, all manner of life decisions, I mean big decisions, decisions that really affect us, uh, all manner of decisions were made this past week. What I want to remind you this morning, and really what a, you, I, I just can't tell you how amazing God is that cues up a series like this on a week like you just had. It's almost like God's in control. It's almost like he knows what's going on and uh, he wants to marry a message up to the circumstance that he already knew we were going to go through last week. So preemptively he wanted me to tell you before you went into the crisis that through the crisis God was already going to be with you. Now uh, you can't beat that. I mean uh, God sees your life. He knows what's going on in your life, and He's already preparing for your future, and we're really just catching up with God every day is all that's happening. Uh, the, 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 the truth is that God was with you last week through every circumstance of your life. You didn't deal with one petty decision last week. That God was not present and working in your life and saying, I'm here, I've got you. You were stressing over some maybe big decisions. And even in that moment, God was right there saying, listen, even if you mess it up, I'm still going to be here. Even if you get it wrong, I'll be here for plan B. I'll be here to help you on the rebound. I'll be here to help it turn out right, even if you get it wrong in the first go-round. And I want you to know a lot of us in our decision-making get it wrong first 47 times. And then God finally helps us get to a place where we see life as he sees it. I want to remind you what Paul said in Romans. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall height or depth or principality or power or any circumstance? No, Paul says, I'm convinced of this. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Man, this is an awesome book. The book of Daniel presents a very encouraging message 
for a stressed out people who are living in a Christ-hostile culture. And if you find yourself in that group, then Daniel has a very positive and encouraging message for you. The theme of Daniel is this. Despite present circumstances, God is in control. Despite the D that I'm going to make on this paper, God's still in control and I can pull this thing out. Despite uh, uh, us, despite the circumstance, despite sometimes our faulty decision making, despite our sinfulness, God is still in control. Now, if nothing else, I'm going to just say this 10,000 times in six weeks so that for the rest of your life you have a point of reference to come back to and in your dark moment your mind can always cycle back to this moment and you can say to yourself in that dark moment, wow, this is a terrible circumstance, but despite this, God is in control. Now, there's 49 verses in Daniel chapter 2. I do not want to be long this morning. Uh, I'm like you. I want to go have lunch and enjoy and uh, but but I want to do justice to the text and so I'm going to read a lot I'm going to comment just a little chapter 2 opens with the king and his cabinet totally new story here we go Daniel 2 1 in the second year of his reign King Nebuchadnezzar had dreams is anybody in here dream vividly when you sleep at night is there anybody in here who never dreams hmm Is there anybody in here who dreams so vividly that you wake up and you're not sure if the dream was real or not? Listen, I dreamed one night I killed my wife. I woke up in a nervous sweat and reached over and checked to see if there was blood in the bed. Woke her up. She's like, what are you doing? That's the way she greets me at night when I wake her up. What are you doing? I'm like, okay. Just to make sure I didn't kill you. It was just a dream. I may if you keep talking to me like that, though. Uh, No, just kidding. Uh, It was just so vivid. It was so real. And uh, not that I want to kill my wife. I can't imagine why I dreamed that. Maybe I read a book about somebody killing their wife. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever had those falling dreams where you, you you jolt yourself awake in the middle of the night because you're just stepped off a cliff, fell down a staircase and, you know, or pushed by your spouse, whatever uh, happened in your sleep. But it, it, it's so realistic that it causes you to wake from sleep. And sometimes when you, here's the deal, the older you get to, sometimes when you wake from sleep, you can't shut it back down. All right, now watch this. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. Now, this is the second or third time I've talked to you about this subject. Once again, the Bible chronicles the human condition, describing affliction common to many of us, a vivid dream followed by insomnia. If you struggle with insomnia, here's what I want to say to you. I struggle with insomnia. One of my sons, wired just like me, he struggles with insomnia as a young man. Uh, Some of you struggle with insomnia. Turn your insomnia into your prayer time. Mom struggles with a little bit of insomnia as well. Turn your insomnia into your prayer time. So when you get woken up in the middle of the night, you can't shut it back down. I start with yoga. I get on the floor and start stretching. And then I start praying. 
And I do that until I'm ready to go back to sleep. And sometimes it's five minutes and sometimes it's two or three hours. Turn your insomnia into prayer time. Talk with God in the middle of the night when it's quiet. And you'll get to where your insomnia is not such an enemy. It becomes a little bit of a fellowship time. And your body softens. Yeah, just anyway, try it. You'll see. Daniel 2.2. So the king, with his insomnia, summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. So he gets all the witch doctors and the sorcerers and calls for the the hogwarts and all their buddies and they all come in. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream, the dream troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. That's just a way of saying, we're, you go, king. We're your people. We got you, buddy. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret See, the magi live for this stuff. This is why they're important for moments like this. Uh, and by the way, parents, don't, don't hate parenting. When your kids come to you with the hard stuff, that, live for that. Live for that. That's why God gave them parents. Because you are strong. And you have wisdom. And you have seen life. And you are able to handle some burdens. So bear burdens. And listen, the mad child lived for this stuff. Uh, the, this is the moment that the king comes to him and says, man, I need you. They're like, we're here, king. That's why we get paid the big bucks. Lay the dream on us. Man, and we, we're, we're, they're chomping at the bits to hear the dream so they can tell the king the interpretation. And I can already tell you about these people. If they don't know the interpretation, they'll fake it till they make it. Okay, that's who these people are. They, you know, here's what I dream. They'll just start making up nonsense, okay? Or they'll see an opening for political advancement, a way to turn the king to something they want. You know, king, what this dream means is you need to buy Apple. Quick, call a stockbroker and tell him to, you know, buy, buy, buy. Price is about to go up. Yeah, they would turn it to their advantage, Okay. Verse 5, the king replied to the astrologers, yeah, this is what I firmly decided. If you don't, do not tell me what my, uh, what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut in pieces and your houses will be turned into piles of rubble. Old KJV, I remember from my childhood right there, says, I will cut you in pieces and I will turn your homes into a dung heap. Yeah, that's pretty vivid language right there. Six, But if you tell me the dream and explain it, on the other side of my favor, you will receive gifts, rewards, great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Okay, all you hot stuff, soothsayers, get in here and you tell me what I dreamed and then tell me the interpretation. And once more, they replied, okay, king, we're ready. Tell us the dream and we will interpret it. The king's like, you're not listening to me. You're not hearing what I'm saying. Uh, 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 The king is suspicious of the magi, his advisors in court, and he's suspicious that they're going to mislead him with their own agenda. So he asks them to do something that's supernatural. Don't just tell me the interpretation. You tell me what the dream was. If you're all that and you guys can prognosticate the future and and all of this, verse 8, Then the king answered, okay, let's make sure you're hearing me. I am certain that you are trying to gain time. You're stalling because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired 
to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. He's resolved in the matter. He is not going to tell them the dream. They're going to have to tell him the dream, or he's going to issue a decree to have his cabinet wiped out. They are facing a death penalty imminent, like tomorrow, like now, the death penalty is coming on them. If they are really wise men, then they should be able to tell me what my dream was and the meaning of my dream. Let's read a little further, verse number 10. The astrologers answered the king. This is a very interesting verse. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe there is no one on earth (laughs) who can do what the king asks. No king, however great or however mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. This is unprecedented, king, what you're asking for us to do. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among the humans. Very interesting. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Now, you know what uh, painstaking, uh, costly uh, extreme he went to to train these people. And now he issues a decree and says, wipe them all out. Well, the problem is that Daniel and his three friends are a part of the Magi. This is where the crisis comes to us in the story. The good guys are now under the death penalty, and they are facing a, a, a massacre, 13. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and for his friends to put them to death. The idol-worshiping magi do not have a biblical worldview. That's what's revealed in this passage. Notice their language. No one on earth can do this. Hey, have I mentioned to you that our God is the God of the, the plot shift, uh, of the old switcheroo, of the turnaround, uh, flip the script? Our God is the master of uh, uh, peripety, of taking a story that's going in one direction and turning it and sending that story in a completely different direction. And the reason you care about that is because your life was going one direction and you met Jesus Christ at the cross and that cross moment has turned your life into a whole other direction. Your life is going one way and God can take it if you'll give Him control of your life and He'll take your life and turn it in a whole other direction so that it doesn't matter what your backstory is That doesn't prevent the rest of your story from ending right and happily ever after. That's who our God is. They said, well, no one on earth can do this. Only the gods can do this. We would correct their language and say, yeah, someone can do this. Heaven is his domain and he is a God singular, the God of heaven and earth. And then they made this uh, statement. They said, but the gods do not live among humans. Well, one God does. The one that matters, <laughs> he does live among the humans. As a matter of fact, I'd like to just preach a whole sermon right here from this on the incarnation of Christ, but I don't have time. Matter of fact, the only real God became human. That he might solve your human problem. 
that he might become the king over the earth once again and reunite heaven and earth and take your sins and nail it to his cross, God did become human in the person of Jesus Christ. Their statement brings up a lot of questions for me. A lot of questions. You may have questions. These are my questions. Can God reveal what a person dreams? Can God reveal the dream of person A to person B? That's kind of interesting and scary. Because sometimes I dream about, I've got the football and I'm running down the sidelines and I'm 17 years old. I'm having a flashback. And then the next thing, I'm scuba diving off a coral reef somewhere. And the next minute, you know, I I, I mean, my dreams are jumbled sometimes. You'd lose your mind if you saw my dreams. And I probably would do the same with yours. I couldn't sort them out. But in this context, can person A get the dream of person B and know exactly what it was? Can God empower an individual with extraordinary wisdom? Can God speak through a human? The Magi say, no, God doesn't, gods don't live among humans. Is there a God that does live among the humans? And is that God the God? What's being set up in the text is a wisdom contest. On face value, it seems to be a wisdom contest between Daniel and his three friends versus the Magi, the, the idol worshiper, wise men god's wise men against the 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 idol worshiper wise men that's what on the surface value it seems like but that's really too shallow a reading of the text what's really happening is a wisdom contest between pagan idols and the one true god that's really what's being set up for you in this chapter the gods of this world versus the god of heaven and earth The false gods versus the great king, God Almighty. And only God's wisdom can reveal the mysteries of life. The focus is not on the context of the revelation we're about to get. I mean, he's going to tell him what the dream means. But what the dream means in some ways is irrelevant. What the dream means is not really the focus of of what we want to look at this morning the focus is that only God's, only Daniel's God can reveal the future. That's really the focus here. That only Daniel's God is God who can give wisdom to men and can tell person B what person A dreamed and what the dream means and prognosticate the future off of that by revelation. It's not about the people. It's about the God. There's a God story in front of you. Further, what's at stake in this is that God does know the future, and if God does know the future, then God alone is in control of human history. There's some subtleties to this text. There's a very strong connection to this story, and the story in the latter part of the book of Genesis of Joseph in Egypt's court, in Pharaoh's court. The story of Joseph finds Joseph in prison, the cupbearer restored from prison, the butler executed, and the king of all crazy things, having insomnia over a crazy dream that he can't interpret. 
And the dream troubles him so bad that he starts calling his wise people together and says, somebody help me. This dream has produced incredible anxiety in my life. And I don't know what it, what, what, what it, it it's like some evil foreboding that I can't sort out. And then the cupbearer in the court says to the king, King, I'm sorry you're dealing with this moment in your life. You seem very troubled, anxious. I do know a person who can interpret dreams. And so they pull Joseph out of prison, and the cupbearer introduces Joseph to his boss, who happens to be <laughs> king of the superpower of the world in that time. Just imagine that connection. Uh, uh, boss, I'd like to introduce to you Joseph. Joseph, this is my boss, King Pharaoh. Uh, he's had a really bad dream. Joseph, I'm hoping you can help him out. And through God's help, Joseph reveals the interpretation of the dream, ends up saving the Egyptian empire, by the way, from economic collapse, ends up saving the Jews by taking care of them as well, becomes a blessing to the whole world. What's often overlooked in the story of Joseph is Joseph was also somehow involved in the mantic arts. Uh, when the cup is put into the sack and they take the grain home and they say, oh, who put the cup here? That is Joseph's divination cup. That is the goblet where he reads the future. Now, you as a, a Christian on this side of Calvary, you're like, what do I do with that? The Bible's not asking you to do anything with that. The Bible's just saying there it is. And uh, that was his position and that's what he was trained whether the goblet was actually something he used or whether it was just something that they associated with, who knows. What we do know is that God gave him the answer to the dream, not the goblet. And in this context, something similar is about to happen. In our story, the magi are diviners, not seers. They can't see the future. They can see signs happening, and from those signs, they go to the books and they look up what the signs mean. Oh, this is a, a, an eclipse on the vernal equinox of the whatever, whatever. That means, you know, your hemorrhoids are going to flare up next month, King. They take the signs and they go to the books and plug in the formula and see what it means. Does that make sense? They can't see the future and know what's, what's coming. They deal with omens and sheep livers and stars uh, and go to the books and figure out what it means. They do not receive revelation from God. They have no wisdom to help in this moment. And God has set this all up. You say, why this thing? God has made this happen. He set it all up. Why has he set it up? To show them who is God. To show them who is God. And to be able to promote Daniel and his friends. God has promised to take care of his people. You can enslave them. And sometimes they deserve it because of their idolatry. This was last week's story. And you can change their names, and you can steal their identity, and you can steal their gender, and you can force them into slavery, and you can do all kinds of things to God's people. But they're God's people, and He will never forsake them, and He will never leave them, and He will always love them, and He will always see to it that it works out in the end. Now you need to take that message to heart when you had a week like you just had. Because that's the story that's being set up before you this morning. Daniel isn't going to go break open the magic books and at the Hogwarts library and try to figure out what's going on. Daniel is going to take this situation 
to a supernatural God. Our God is not like the false gods that are man-made. Now, I just want to keep reminding you of the obvious. Now, you don't live in an idolatry culture, uh, idols of stone and gold and rock and things that, you know, our European forefathers did. They were pagans. This is, they were idolaters. The Asians are pagans. They're idolaters. And this monotheism of Judaism, which leads to Christianity, is very unique, where there's only one God who is God. And that one God has a hot-button issue. If you don't know anything else about God, learn this about God. God has a hot-button issue. And it will, you want to enrage God, there's one issue that enrages God. It's not homosexuality. It's not alcoholism. It's idolatry. And if you want to get God really ticked, then bow down to a frog or a lizard or a rock or a tree and call it God. And God will lose his mind. I mean, he will get angry. Because he keeps telling us, don't do that. Ten commandments, first ones are about this. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image of anything upon this earth that goes through the sea, that flies through the air, of the sun, moon, or stars above. No idols. You know, man, he, that's right out of the gate. God says, these are my hot buttons right here. Don't do this. Well, the world sets up idols. Uh, again, in your culture, it's, it's different. In your culture, they're not idols of rock and stone and gold. The idol of your culture is self. And the idol of your culture really is worship through self-satisfaction, self-gratification. Uh, that is our idol, it seems like, du jour right now. And, and that's kind of driving, driving the American narrative. Let me show you what the context of the Old Testament is. Isaiah 46 the prophets talk a lot about idolatry. Listen to the words of God. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? If you were going to say, well, God is like this, what would you put over here in the this bucket? <laughs> well, here's God. Let me explain him. He's like, he's not like anything. This is the whole point of the Bible. With whom will you compare me? Or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that, that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and they weigh out silver on the scales and they hire a goldsmith to make it into a god. You understand what's happening? People take their gold, they melt it, they hire a goldsmith and he's going to fashion it into a god and they bow down and they worship it. They lift it on their shoulder uh, and they carry it up and set it on a pedestal somewhere, set it in a niche they put it in a temple somewhere, they've made a god, and now they bow down and they worship it. There it stands, that's what he's saying, put it in its place, there it stands, and from that spot, it cannot move. What are you going to compare me to, God says? Your gods, you make your own gods with your own hands out of stuff, and you put your god on a shelf, and when you put him there, there he is. From there, he cannot move. Are you going to say, that's like me? Because that's nothing like me. Your God's on a shelf and he cannot move. Uh, I, I can move. Even though someone cries out to the God, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. 
Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. God is like nothing else. Superlative, extraordinary, incomparable. There is nothing you can compare God to. He is incomparable. I am God. There is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, and what is still to come. Because I'm God, I can say this. My purpose will stand. Amen? And I will do all that I please. Yowza. Listen to God talk. I am God. There is no other. I'm going to bring it all to fruition by my power. What I say is what will go. What I allow is what will happen. And I will do as I please. See, we want to be God, don't we? Because right there is where I say, yeah, I'd like to do what I please too. And there's the the rub in our lives. He wants us to bend the knee and call him Lord and make our way to prosper. But we want to drive our own agenda. This is the story of humanity from the moment of the fall in the Garden of Eden. We want to be our own gods. We want to rebel against God. He says, well, there just isn't any other way. I am God. So to recap, here we go. Lives are on the line, including Daniel's life, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody's under the death sentence, but despite present circumstances, here's what we know. God is in control. God reveals the mystery. Daniel chapter 2, verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. I'd like to preach a whole sermon right here. He asked the officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh degree? Arioch explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time. King, give me 24 hours. Give me 12 hours. Give me the night so that I can interpret the dream for you. Now, Arioch has no choice. This is like captain of the guard, whatever. He has no choice but to execute the king's order, which is kill all the wise men. So Daniel asks for time. A night is what he needs. And Daniel is a model of wisdom and tact. Lock on to this, everyone. Wisdom and tact. We can all learn something from his character about how to navigate difficult situations that life will present to you. If you have a boss who's a jerk, then you need to have wisdom and tact. If you're in a crisis situation, wisdom and tact. If you're in a difficult moment dealing with your children or your parents or your spouse, wisdom and tact. Not my way or highway. Wisdom and tact will get you a long way. Okay? Just because you're God's child does not mean that you're always right. And just because you're God's child doesn't mean that uh, you can be a jerk. Okay? Wisdom and tact will get you far in life. And if you learn nothing else from Daniel, learn wisdom and tact. When you're dealing with people who are in power, and when you're dealing with dignitaries, and when you're dealing with relationships, this week let's try a little wisdom and tact. 
Trust me, it'll happen before the week's over. You'll, be getting, you'll get in a conversation this coming week. And these moments are going to come back to you. And you're going to say, this is the wisdom intact moment, I think, right here. And rather than be boisterous and a jerk, try wisdom intact. And watch how God works in the moment. Verse 17. They got the time. He's going to give them a night. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that he and his friends might not be executed along with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So let's make sure we all know what's going on. He goes into the king, buys 24 hours. He runs home, he gathers his three friends who are God's people, not idolaters. And he says to his three friends, we'll be executed in the morning if God doesn't give us the answer to our prayer tonight. No, we're not going to the Magi books. What I want to say to my friends is this. I want you to stay here with me all night long in the house. And we're going to get on our knees and we're going to spend the night in prayer. If lives are to be spared, then God will have to tell us what to say. That's it. That's how simple this is now. Either God comes through or we die at sunrise. So I suggest we get on our knees and we start talking to God. And see if it's God's will that we die tomorrow, okay. But maybe it's God's will that he reveals the thing to us and we, be, we become a blessing. And we become saviors with a small s to the people around us. And we become a blessing to this kingdom. So let's get on our knees and let's pray. Verse 19, during the night, we don't know when. They prayed two hours or they pray seven hours. We don't know. Somewhere in the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven, and he said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and he raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise, and he gives knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him i thank you and i praise you god of my ancestors you have given me wisdom and power you have made known to me what we asked of you you have made known to us the dream of the king well can you imagine what a celebration that was so let's make sure we understand the story somewhere in the night they're all praying and god reveals the dream to daniel god spoke to daniel What I want you to notice is a point of Christian order here. When Daniel received the vision in the night, he did not jump right up and run out the door to the court of the king and wake everybody up and say, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it, here we go. That's not what happened. When God revealed the dream to him, then Daniel had a worship service. It started with a prayer service. And then when God answered the prayer, he didn't rush right off. Now he has the second time of prayer, and it's a worship and praise service. This is, I'm not not putting anything on you, but I'm going to say it's, it's a problem with us, God's people, that we are receivers and receivers and receivers and not returning praise back. Right, thankers, we're not grateful. 
God is answering many of your prayers week by week. Please, please remember to fall on your knees and say to the God who answers your prayers, You are God. You have done this. You have blessed me. I return thanks and gratitude to you. God, let me be a a, a giver because you have given so generously to me. God, make me like you. Paul's, and now I'm not saying get the kids together in a banjo and have a worship service. I'm saying you in a quiet moment fall on your face before God. Go for a walk at the park. Find some, go for a drive. Just get alone with God and say, God, I forgot to say thank you. And I want to just have a moment with you where I remember to give you thanks and praise. The dream and the interpretation come now. Chapter, verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel says to the man appointed to execute, Do not execute any of the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king. I will interpret the dream for him. Boy, can you imagine the hush in court? I just want to say you can hear a pin drop. You can hear every slap of Daniel's sandals as he walks across the marbled court to the throne of King Nebuchadnezzar. And every wise man's life hangs in the balance of what this one man is about to say. Life and death are in the power of Daniel's tongue right now. What I want to show you as we go into the interpretation is what a blessing Daniel is to everyone around him. Daniel's not saving his own hide. He's going to save the lives of all the magi. The first thing Daniel says to the executioner, Arioch, is do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Now, right now, you're saying, well, they're all pagans, they're all idol worshipers, you know, let's wipe them out, let God's people rule. That's not the story the Bible's telling. That's not the way God wants this to play out. Daniel's going to save everyone's lives, including the lives of those who don't know God. And if you ever ask yourself as you read these stories or as you read the book of Luke and Matthew and you see wise men coming to the birth of Christ from Babylon to give gifts to the child Jesus and you're wondering how do these people know about Jesus? They know about Jesus because hundreds and hundreds of years earlier a man at work lived out his faith and he saved everyone's life. Because God was working through him. Now let me just say this to you. If you save the lives of your co-workers, they're going to like you. Let me say this. If they don't like you, at least they're going to respect you. Okay? Because you saved their bacon. Now, I want to just say, to make sure we've got our understanding right in this modern world, we're not doing holy war. Holy war ended at the cross of Jesus Christ. Back that up a few sermons ago. We are not seeking the destruction of our enemies. We are seeking the conversion of our enemies to faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes the church is getting this wrong even right now. Very, very hostile anti-Islam sentiment among conservative Christians. And I get it. But destruction of our enemies is a last resort when we must defend our lives. We do not seek the annihilation of pagans, of whatever variety they are. We seek that they might know Jesus Christ and be forgiven. Gosh, if we could lead these young Hindus that are coming to Christ, these young Buddhists that are coming to Christ, 
Listen, in 20, 30, 40 years, they may lead the whole nation to Christ. Let God work. Let God work through these people's lives. The, the, the pagan priestess just got baptized a few weeks ago because her daughter found faith and now the mother found faith. Let's let it work. Let's see what God will do and let's see how his kingdom might expand. This is a very clear foreshadowing to me of the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament where he says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who want to hurt you. Love your enemies. This is so much more than a story about Daniel. This is a story about God. It's a story that answers the question that every human will ask, is there really a God? Let me read the story. Verse 25. So Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah. It's another way of saying I found one of God's people. <laughs> found one of God's people who can tell the king what the dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar. They gave him these pagan names. Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Because the otherwise men say this can't be done. Daniel replied, Daniel replied, tell me the word. Daniel replied, what? This is very interesting. So the king's like, yes, finally. So you can tell me my dream. Watch how Daniel opens. Well, not exactly. So you can tell me the, no. Now, the whole sentence is great, but I just love the way it opens. You know, watch how Daniel deflects from I'm all that and he's going to bring God into the picture. This is what you want to see. If you can do this every day of your life, this is that angled mirror we talk about where you reflect glory to God and God uses you to reflect his attributes to the world. Can you uh, tell me uh, the dream? And Daniel says, well, let me say it this way. No. No wise man, no enchanter, no magician, no diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But... There is a God. Now before I read the rest of this, these are the words I want to just burn into your conscience, burn into your mind. There is a God. There is a God. I remember my friends in Romania for 60 years, they were under communist oppression. On December 25th, 1989, the revolution was on and Ceausescu and his wife were executed. That all began because Christians went out into the street and the people of Romania went out in the streets of Timisoara and a pastor went up on the roof with a microphone and a loudspeaker and for 60 years under communism, whose God is atheism, they were told you must say there is no God. That's what they teach the kids in school, that's what they taught. There is no God, there is no God, there is no God. Communism is the religion. Atheism is the, 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 the philosophy. There is no God. And after 60 years of that, the people took to the streets and a Baptist pastor went up on a roof with a microphone and the people began to shout by the hundreds of thousands in the streets, There is a God! I've been waiting 60 years to say this. There is a God! Daniel, Daniel can you reveal the dream? No, no one can reveal the dream, King, but there is a God. Not this hocus-pocus, not these gold and silver idols, not these powerless 
of the pagan deities that are offensive to God. There actually is a God. Now you live in a world that denies that. And so I want to burn into your heart this morning. In your dark moments, in your struggles, I want you to get alone for a moment. And I want you to say to yourself and just say to God, there is a God. Self, be encouraged because you're not alone in this moment. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. No human can do what you ask, King, but there's a God. Verse 28. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. Now person B is about to tell person A what person A dreamed in the middle of the night. Here we go. Here are the thoughts that pass through your brain. This is amazing. As your majesty was lying there, verse 29, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mystery showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked and there before you stood a huge statue. Character A enters the dream. An enormous, dazzling statue. Think Statue of Liberty. Think this massive statue. Dazzling in appearance. Awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. And its chest and arms were silver. And the belly and thighs were bronze. The legs were of iron. And the feet were partly iron. And partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut. Enter character B to the dream. A rock was cut, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. The iron uh, and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in summer. Summary, rocks hits the statue on the feet and just blasts it to smithereens. It just turns into dust and the wind blows it away and there's nothing remaining. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock, the kingdoms are all gone. The statue's gone. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. The rock grew to be a mountain and it filled the whole earth. Okay. So the two characters of the dream are a statue and a rock. Verse 36, this was the dream. And now we will interpret it to the king, royal we, right here. I like it. 37, your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and beasts of the field and birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. But after you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. And next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, 
And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron, even as you saw it mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, the kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron uh, mixed with clay, so the people will be a mixture of people, and they will not remain united, not any more than iron mixes with clay. 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. I'm going really slow right now. You say, what's this all about? God will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. This kingdom of God that's coming will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what is about to take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Let's make sure we all get the story. The dream is about kingdoms. That's what the dream is about. The human kingdoms are represented by the statue. Nebuchadnezzar, you're the world empire right now. You're the head of gold. Medo-Persians coming. Alexander the Great's coming. Roman Empire's coming. These great empires of human kingdoms are, are coming. The rock is something different. The rock is a rock cut without human hands. It's something that God is doing. And when God's rock, God's kingdom comes it's going to smash in the time of the foot kings and it's going to obliterate the human kingdoms all to smithereens and it's going to grow and fill the world. That kingdom is the kingdom of God. Now this is again what all the New Testament parables are mostly about. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed and it becomes a giant tree and it gets huge. And Exactly. The kingdom of God is a mystery, but it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. With every person we lead to Christ, with every person we baptize, with every human being that comes to faith in Christ, with everyone we disciple, the kingdom of God is growing one person bigger. Does that make sense? Let me ask you a question. Are you a part of that? Are you a part of that? You say, well, I was just taught to come to church. Wait a second, the kingdom of God is supposed to be growing. Coming to church is great. We're glad you're coming to church. You need to come to church. But that's not what being a Christian is about. What being part of the kingdom of God is about is about you colonizing planet earth for the kingdom of God. You're supposed to be pulling people into the kingdom. You're supposed to be letting your light shine. You're supposed to be being a witness at work and at school so that others are being drawn to Christ. You're supposed to be doing your part to help God's mission expand. The mountain grew big, rock to mountain and filled the whole earth. Let me ask you, when you think about kingdoms, what kingdom do you want to be a part of? This is what's being put in front of you. There are a lot of human kingdoms, but there is a superior kingdom 
that transcends them all. Let me say it another way to you. Human kingdoms come and go. Nebuchadnezzar, here you are. Listen, while Daniel is still serving, he'll serve the Medo-Persians as well. The chest of that statue. Kingdoms are being changed. Presidencies come and go. We've got one. We'll get another one. Sooner the better, in my opinion, but we'll get another one. Okay? And then you know what? We'll get another one. And then you know what? We'll get another one. Why? Because they come and go. As a matter of fact, we're the superpower of the world right now. China's threatening to be that. Russia's economy is not as big as Texas. Texas has a bigger economy than the country of Russia. You are aware of that, right? Texas has a bigger economy than Russia. Now, what Russia has is a million nukes. Okay? That's why the only reason they have what they have right now. It's the only reason they can flex their muscle and we don't know what to do and how to respond because of the threat of annihilation to the world. Kingdoms come and go. Powers shift. I am proud to be an American. Never doubt my patriotism. I'm, I am USA all the way. I am proud of my heritage. I am a proud American. I don't want to be anything but an American. But more than I want to be an American, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. Because that's a kingdom that will endure forever. I know you won't like what I'm going to say, but the United States of America and its present constitution as it exists right now will not last forever. It's not a thought you think about very often, but we've already about run the table on the lifespan of a nation. No empire lasts much beyond 200 years in human history. America is facing its expiration date as a world power. And like Rome, who you don't care to read about, but if you do read about it, what you'll discover is they got rich and they got fat and they got happy and they got decadent and they got complacent and then they were gone. And every empire goes down the same path. You'll read about some of them here in the book of Daniel as we continue. America as it is this morning will not be this way forever. That's sobering, isn't it? But it's, it's based in history. I don't know when it will expire. I don't want it to expire. I pray it goes until the return of Christ. But history would bet against that if the history books are right. Humans operate on the idea that we are getting better and better and stronger and stronger. But if anything, this story undercuts human philosophy. This story says the opposite is true. This story says you should have seen the grandeur that was Egypt. It would blow your mind. This story says you should have seen the grandeur that was Babylon. It would rock your world. This story says that the kingdoms were getting inferior as history goes. This story says gold gives way to silver. Silver gives way to bronze. Bronze gives way to iron. Iron gives way to clay. Kingdoms that start in grandeur turn into mud. And eventually, dust that is blown away. And there is nothing that remains of the kingdom. Poof, they are gone. That's sobering. 
One of my favorite uh, poems is uh, Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley. It's an atheist as far as I know, most fascinating, one of the most fascinating poems I've ever read. Uh, Ozymandias. I would challenge you to read it. In the days of Percy Bysshe Shelley, they had found a statue of Ramesses II, torso and bust of Ramesses II. Several nations tried to get it, and the uh, United Kingdom, the Empire, British Empire, got it. And it took years to get it finally back in the British music, to get it to Great Britain. Percy Bysshe Shelley wrote a poem about the bust of Ramesses II. Fascinating with what we're talking about. It talks about his statue, and it talks about how the sculpture got depicted him just, you know, whose wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that the sculptor's well those traits read. The poem goes like this. He said, I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. There's a traveler who's walked through the desert and he comes upon a two legs on a pedestal. That's what the poem's about. Ozymandias is a name for Ramesses II. And he talks about on the sand, there is the shattered face of Ramesses. And on the pedestal there is engraved these words. Look on me, you mighty and despair. I am the king of kings. The poet says, lonesome and bare, the sand stretches off into the distance. Nothing remains around the shattered wreck of that colossal mess but a few... These are the kingdoms of the world being described. Look on me. I am the king of kings. There's two legs. <laughs> and nobody. Where's his bow? Oh, here's the head buried over here. There's an arm over there. These are the kingdoms of the world boasting of their might. You say, what's left? Just dust. Just shattered stone. I love to go see places like Rome. And these, you know, we go to Israel and see these ancient things are fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. But what's fascinating is how the Bible is true. The kingdoms just, the names change and the faces change and the power shifts from one country to another. But eventually we realize that the only thing that lasts forever is to be a part of God's eternal kingdom. It is the stone that has become the mountain. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. Come and join my kingdom. You'll be a part of something eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will not pass away. You're a part of something powerful, part of something supernatural, part of something bigger. I'm an American through and through, but I'm a part of something even bigger than that. That's big news, but I'm a part of something that's way bigger than that. When Jesus arrived on planet Earth, God becoming a human, the Bible is very clear on what his message was. He came forth preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He said God's kingdom is here, and it's here to stay. It's not going away. The stone is here that the builders have stumbled over, but the stone is going to become a mountain, and the mountain is going to take over the earth. The kingdom of God is growing. It's spreading. Let me ask you some questions quickly. Are you a part of that? Kingdom of God is growing. Are you a part of that? You say, how can I be? Give. Give. Unapologetically, you are a part of it through giving. What you see every week is happening through your missions giving. You say, well, how does money turn into that? Uh, listen, we're taking them a handful of laptops in a few weeks so they can do 
uh, coaching classes with computers and bring young people in and train them with vocational skills. Oh, by the way, can we share the gospel with you? All of those things, every little thing we can do, we're doing to connect to people and, and to connect disciple makers to the lost. But at home, are you part of God's mission? Spreading the gospel through disciple making? Being a light in your community? The story that's being told is a story that God will defeat the forces that oppose the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has opposition. Wow, you, you get out on the front line and start serving God. There's opposition. Spiritual warfare is a very real thing. God's kingdom is promised, though, to prevail and to expand. Let me give you the king's response, my last thought. 46, here we go. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. King fell on his face before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to Daniel. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. So now when you read the New Testament story and you're like, well, how do the Magi know that Christ is going to be born? Because Daniel was the president of the Magi. And no doubt he said, hey, let's write some new books. Let's write some books now about what's coming. So let's write a book about this stone kingdom that's coming, that's going to become a mountain. Messiah is going to come and he will be the king of kings. This will be the eternal kingdom. That's how the Magi knew to show up uh, in Bethlehem. So the king places Daniel in a high position and makes him ruler. Verse 49, moreover, at Daniel's request... The king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel remained at court, at the royal court. So let me see if we get the story right. The most powerful pagan in the world, the most powerful idolater on planet earth, Nebuchadnezzar, is now bowing face down on the floor before one of God's exiled people. You've got the story right. You say, what is that? Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. If you suffer, the New Testament says with me, you shall rule and reign with me. In the coming kingdom. The kingdom that is now here and is now expanding. When God blesses you, there's another message for you here. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the other provinces. Or over the province of Babylon. At Daniel's request. I want to be sure you understand the story. Because now Nebuchadnezzar has made Daniel basically prime minister of Babylon. And so Daniel says, but I want to be a blessing to my friends. Let's get them in some high places as well. Put it in really common language. When God blesses you, your response should be to bless God's people. Some of you have hit the big time. You need to be discipling and bringing up some of these other people that are God's people under you. It's not something we talk about much. Have you been promoted? Hey, find some of God's people and promote them. Have you been blessed and you can hire some people? Hire some of God's people. 
Are you being God opening the windows of heaven and giving you opportunity? Listen, pull some young Christians in there and, and get them promoted as well. At Daniel's request, he says, hey, king, take care of my buddies here. Let's make sure that they're part of this too. These are wise guys. These are sharp people. They also know God. They are also blessed like I am. Let's get them in here. Your kingdom will prosper under the care of these good uh, followers of God. Let me wrap it this way. Wisdom is not a lesson you need to learn this morning. Wisdom is found in a relationship that you enjoy. Daniel's wisdom did not come from books of dream interpretations or incantations. Daniel's wisdom came from a conversation. Daniel's wisdom came through a relationship. Daniel's wisdom came through prayer and spending time talking to God. And that's accessible to you this morning. Wisdom is a relationship that produces in you a different mindset. Wisdom is a relationship with God that produces in you a different way of looking at the world. Because we're in a relationship with God, and the more we talk to God, and the more we fellowship with God, He's giving us corrective lenses to see the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ, to see the world through our relationship with God, to see the world through the love of God, through the cross of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ. And when you see that way, you see the world very differently. You see the world as God sees the world. Let me also tell you that when John gets ready to close out the New Testament, he starts saying things like this. I know you're under opposition, but let me remind you, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. This is kind of a synopsis of the story of Daniel. Opposing forces, trials, death sentence, crisis. What are we going to do? There is a God. And the Magi were wrong. He did live among men. And this morning he does live among men. And that God says to every one of you who have a relationship with him, greater is my presence in you than everything you're facing in this world. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I am the source of life. I am the source of wisdom. If I am the source of your promotion. I am the source of your intelligence. And while many earthly kingdoms are powerful and grand, they are passing away at best. They are not permanent. The kingdoms of this world oversell and underdeliver. And if you want to be a part of an eternal kingdom, then you want to be a part of God's kingdom he is a good king he loves his people he is gracious and kind and forgiving and compassionate and long-suffering and if you don't know king jesus i invite you to open your heart to him today he will transform your life this has been a week filled with many unexpected events a little bit of chaos. Yet you've been able, despite your circumstances, to lean upon a very real God. Because despite all of your present circumstances, God is in control. Father, we bow before you, one people, united in God. 
And God, we just want to spend just a minute saying thank you. Father, forgive us for rushing too quickly here and there and not realizing how often you are answering our prayers, you are protecting us, you are delivering us from evil, you are putting food on the table, you are putting paychecks in the bank, you are caring for our health, you are watching over our children, you are blessing our businesses, you are holding together our marriages, you are constantly caring for us. God, our testimony this morning is there is a God who did become human and still lives with humans. And maybe no one on earth can do a whole lot of things, but we don't even look to that. We look to you who can do anything. God, work in our hearts this morning to be thankful. God, as we breathe in the blessings of God, let us breathe out gratitude and thankfulness and worship for all that you've done. Christians, there may be many things you need to say to God right in this still moment. But I want to say to anyone who's not a part of God's kingdom, the way you get in the kingdom is by receiving the king. You accept a relationship with a new king and he'll put you in the kingdom. We call that receiving Jesus Christ as your savior. And in that moment, he'll forgive you of your sins and trespasses and he'll give you a clean slate. And he'll start you on a brand new path in his kingdom, living for him, living with purpose, living on a mission. And he'll put his Holy Spirit's presence in your heart. God will come live in you. You'll never be alone. He'll always be there. And he will transform you by his presence if you'll yield to him. If you've never prayed and called upon Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and maybe even knowing how to make that prayer is a bit of a struggle this morning. We have people who help you. You're not alone this morning. You have friends here. In the back of the room, there are several of our deacons and elders. They're just standing back there waiting for someone who might need help. If you've never received Christ as your Savior and you're ready to make that prayer this morning, why don't you just slip out of your seat and just go to the back of the room. In the stillness and in the darkness, no one's looking around just my eyes and God's eyes right now on the room you just slip out of your seat no one's going to embarrass you nobody's going to call you out just go up to one of those church leaders in the back and just extend your hand even if you don't know what to say they know what to say they know how to help you and they're going to lead you in a prayer to receive Christ and find a new life this morning as you need to you just slip and join them How you do it on the tact issue? How are you doing on being gracious? Are you speaking to the people around you with love and kindness? Or is our home full of raised voices and anger? Maybe God needs to transform some things, but it begins always with you in your own heart. Some of you are praying for healing. Some of you are praying for health. Some are praying for careers. All manner of things this morning are going up to God. He hears your prayers. He's going to hear your prayers and he's going to answer.
Father, I pray that you'd bless your people this morning. Lord, they've been such good listeners and appliers of your word as we move through this text. God, you've spoken to us. God, I pray if there's any here that's struggling with the reality of who you are, that you would make yourself very real to them this week. Show them your presence. Ordain the divine appointments that we need to help us grow. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray.